The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Morning is from 1 John 5, verses 18 through 21. If you're using the Bible underneath your chair, it's on page 1024. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, Charles, I'm going to pray for you, but I I think er nearly everyone here knows Charles. If you don't know Charles, um, let me tell you a little bit about him. He is one of the most caring men that I know in all, almost nearly the most humble servant that I know. He, he plays every morning, um, and it's more than just playing. Like, I don't know, how many years has this guy prepared? And last, last week, I was, I was a gathering pastor, and I was sitting there, and you were wearing those keys out, man. I mean, it was, it was awesome. I love it when Charles just, you could tell he's just up there having fun, praising the Lord. But, but that takes a lot of work. He's, he's doing that every Sunday. And um, I can't tell you how many times he's just sent a word of encouragement to the elders um, through text or a phone call. And um, I'm going to butcher the quote, but it's, it's that quote, people don't know that they don't care what you know until they know that you care. Um, so Charles Campbell comes before you this morning as, as someone who knows a lot, but his character speaks nearly as loud as any word he can say. So Charles, I'm thankful for you, brother. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for my friend Charles. Uh, thank you for the influence he has had on my life. Thank you for the influence he has had in this church. Lord, we pray that your power would rest upon him, that he would speak your word boldly, faithfully. And Lord, we pray for our hearts as Delta that we would be changed, uh, not by what Charles says, but, but by what you have to say through Charles and with what your word says. So Lord, we, we ask that this time would be a blessing to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, there we go. Good morning, uh, Brian. Brian uh, highlighted the secret to my piano playing. Um, here's the deal: uh, when you don't know for sure what you're doing, just keep playing louder. Okay, so that's the reality of it. Is you just kind of overwhelm people with your enthusiasm and volume, right, Brady? So, and they're like, "Man, that was really good." It's like, "Well, it was just really loud." <laughs> so, uh, so that's the deal. Uh, this morning, you, you said, uh, as you already saw, we're going to be in First John chapter 5, um, verses uh, 18 to 21. As we wrap up, I get to wrap up this whole series on John that uh, Pastor John's been preaching on. And he did make it, and he is in the DR, and uh, he tried to send us this beautiful picture. I think, he was, I think he was trying to encourage us this morning about his great and glorious place that he was getting to have his devotion this morning, and the picture didn't come through. So we're like, ah, see... Uh, but he's, he's doing good. Uh, his, um, 
Wi-Fi, I think, is super spotty, so I don't know how much we'll hear from him and that kind of thing. And I think actually part of the week he's going to be away from any kind of um, Wi-Fi technology. I think they're going to be off at some camp someplace that I don't even know if it has electricity. So um, he's going to be roughing it this week. Um, so pray for him. This morning, though, I want to I just uh, talk to you about the Olympics I don't know about you, but at our household, um, the Olympics are on. I mean, if, there's, if it's on, it's on in our house, right? If there's something playing, in fact, right now we're just like, I wonder what's going on. Uh, I mean, I don't care whether it's underwater basket weaving or badminton or table tennis or Greco-Roman wrestling. I mean, if it's an Olympic sport, we are watching it at our house, okay? Uh, last night, I mean, we stayed up late and we watched the beach volleyball. You know, it, it didn't finish until, I don't know, 11.30, quarter to 12. We were watching it. We go home today, because we typically at our house, we're pretty tight about media. We don't watch a whole lot of TV, and at lunchtime, it's a, it's a definite. You don't turn the television on, you focus on each other. But during the Olympics, we kind of uh, set that rule aside, and the Olympics are on, right? Because they only happen every four years, and uh, you see things that you'll never get to see again, right? I mean, how often do you get to watch table tennis, right? There's not professional table tennis playing on television at a regular time, or badminton, or uh, in the winter sports, curling, whatever it is. So we're watching it, and we're watching it all the time. For me, there was a favorite moment. For a lot of you guys, you won't know this moment because you were either not born yet or you were probably in diapers. Uh, 1992, uh, so that'll eliminate a lot of you guys, but there'll be some of you guys that'll resonate with me. In 1992, one of my favorite Olympic moments, the, the best basketball team of all time. I don't care who you root for today. They would not defeat this team of 1992. I mean, it is made up of every one of these guys are Hall of Famers. I mean, you're talking about Michael Jordan. You're talking about Magic Johnson. You're talking about Larry Bird. You're talking about Chris Mullen. You're talking about Clyde the Slide Drexler. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, right? You're talking about David Robinson, the Admiral. Um, you're talking about Scottie Pippen. Christian Leitner was the kind of the college throw-in player. He was the one that probably... Shouldn't have been there, but they had to have a college player on the team, so he got to play because he had just come off of two national championships with Duke. So, I mean, he was a decent player, but he wasn't one of these guys. Patrick Ewing, uh, Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, uh, John Stockton. I mean, this team was just stacked. It was the first year in the Olympics that the, that the professional NBA players were allowed to play, and it just happened to coincide with this collection of, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, Right? I mean, all these guys, I mean, if you, if you got to pick, you know, my, my generation, if you got to pick a dream team, there's, there's not a single guy that's not on that list that you wouldn't have, man, there's nobody else that should have been there. Maybe Isaiah Thomas, but, I mean, he's a Detroit Piston, and nobody liked the Detroit Pistons back then. I don't know if they still like the Detroit Pistons today, but um, maybe him. But other than that, I mean, this team was just, I mean, they were the bomb. I mean, there was nobody on the planet that was going to come close to them. And in fact, um, during that Olympics, 1992 Olympics, um, it was so bad. I mean, their, their average winning margin was 44 points. Okay, that was the average winning margin. There were only two teams um, that stayed within 40 points of this team uh, during uh, the tournament. I mean, 44-point margin of victory. In fact, a lot of teams didn't even score 44 points. In fact, in one of the games um, against Angola, they went on a 46 to nothing run, and the run was broken because Charles Barkley, being who Charles Barkley is, had to elbow one of the guys from the other team. Just to kind of, He kind of gave him a shot. It wasn't really called for, but he gave it to him anyway, and the guy made one of his two free throws. And that was the only points they scored. 
um, in, this, in this run. I mean, can you imagine going on a 46 to nothing run? These guys were just the dream team. I mean, that's what they were called. That's where that whole phrase came from. You know, and later on, there were other dream team two and whatever, and then we've got the teams now. And they're good teams, but it wasn't this collection of guys who were just, I mean, absolutely incredible. Uh, in fact, the best game that they had was a game that no one ever saw. It was, it was a scrimmage that they had before they came to play in the Olympic Games. Um, in fact, Michael Jordan was quoted as saying it was one of the best basketball games he'd ever played, um, but no one, got to, no one got to see it. So it was Team White versus Team Blue. And so, I mean, what, what a cool thing that would have been. So here's the deal. These guys knew, and everyone else in the world knew, that when they walked on the court, there was going to be a victory. I mean, there was no doubt. They absolutely knew I mean, it just wasn't a possibility. I mean, there was no, there was in, in no realm, in no dimension, in no time was there going to be an upset of this team. I mean, there was nobody on the planet uh, that was even close to them. I mean, at the time, international players were still coming along, but they, you know, they, they just weren't of the same caliber. I mean, they were good players. I mean, like Croatia had Tony Kukoc, who was a, um, a teammate of Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan's, and, and um, they actually tag-teamed him during the game against Croatia and shut him down, so... Um, but they just knew beyond a shadow of a doubt who they were. I tell you that s- story this morning to remind us of the text that we have in front of us. John, the writer John, uses this same phrase to launch into our three verses today. Each one of the three verses start with this word, we know. We know. And the reason he uses that phrase is he wants to say that his readers and to remind them that they have that same kind of confidence in their relationship with Jesus Christ. This bold, this victorious, this very self-assured confidence in these things that John is getting ready to say to them. We know these things are true. Even more so than what the dream team could say about their basketball games. I mean, there there was a great amount of confidence there. But for us today, those of us who call ourselves believers, we can walk in this great confidence and assurance because we know that these things are true. And it should impact the way we live, and it should impact the way we make decisions, and it should impact the way we walk in our daily lives because we know these things to be true. So if you're taking notes today, here's here's the phrase that I want to give you um, to hang on to throughout this message. Here's here's kind of my main theme and thoughts that was just God was kind of soaking in me as I've been working on this um, for the last couple of weeks. We have victory. Victory is that key word. Victory is the word. Why do we have victory? And what does victory do for us? We can live boldly and confidently because we are His and Satan, the enemy, has been defeated. So we, we have victory. We live in victory. So we live boldly, confidently, because we are his, and Satan has been defeated. So look with me at, at verse 18 as we jump right into this. He says this, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know, first half of that, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. Now that's, an, that's kind of an odd phrase for me to see. Uh, because in my own life, I know that I sin, right? I know that I'm a sinner saved by grace. So when I look at that, 
my first reaction is, man, I don't, I don't know that I can stand confidently on that verse. But yet John says, we know. So we should have confidence in that verse. So, so how, do we, how do we deal with the tension that's there? Because for me, there, that verse creates tension in my life. Here's what I think is happening there. One is that John is, again, going over the bigger picture that Pastor John has been talking to us about for the last several weeks. John is trying to combat some false teaching that's happening inside the body of believers that he's dealing with, where folks were denying um, who Jesus was. Um, and they weren't denying God, but they were denying who Jesus was. And so, so John is, is starting to, to finish this letter by clarifying some things. And one of the things he's clarifying is saying this, you can have full confidence that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, a habitual pattern of sin will no longer exist in your life. What I mean by that is this, and what I think John means by that is this, is that our focus now is not self, our focus is Jesus. We're chasing after something different. We're not chasing after what we were chasing before. So this idea of keeping on sinning, our trajectory is different. Is there still sin in our life? Are we still being sanctified? Yeah, we're still being sanctified. Daily, 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 God is still working on us. And sometimes the way God is working in us is he allows us to suffer. He presses in on us. Sometimes he disciplines us, right? Because the way that we are living requires discipline because he's a loving father. So what John is talking about here is not this idea of perfection, because perfection is not going to happen until we're with the Father and we're glorified, right? That's perfection. But what he is saying to us right here, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, is this idea of we are not wallowing in, we are not just satisfied with staying in the pig pen, to use an image from a biblical story, the prodigal son, right? He walked away from the father, did he not? And he wallowed in his sin. I mean, he was just deep in the thick of it. But he didn't stay there. He recognized where he was. And he turned, and the father was waiting for him. So, is your life marked by a pattern of pursuing Jesus, pursuing the father, even in the midst of wrestling with there may be some addictions in your life that you're battling, but the key word there is you're battling. You're laying them daily at the Father's feet, saying, Father, I, I want victory over this. I'm struggling with this sin. I'm wrestling with this. I want freedom from it. That's, that's one thing. That's, that's pursuing Jesus, right? Even in the midst of dealing with the sin that's in your life. It's another thing to just be in the midst of it and being satisfied with it. I mean, you're just rolling over in it. You're just smacking it on you. I mean, you're just, you're just trying to see how much sin you can pack on. Because your focus is not on him. Your focus is on yourself. I think that's what John is talking about right there. Because see, in reality, if you're, if you're pursuing Jesus, you've changed teams. You're not on team self. You're on team Jesus. You've been allowed into God's kingdom. God has welcomed you into his family. You're one of his kids. And if you're one of his kids, your desire is to please him. That's your pursuit. 
That's what John is saying right there. Because he goes on. He doesn't, he doesn't leave us there because he, he keeps going. And he says what? Right there in the second half of verse 18. I love this word in the Bible. But, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Now, that he there in the second half of verse 18 is not us. That's Jesus. But he who was born of God protects him. The him in that part is us. Because we can't protect ourselves. If the he was us, that would go against what Scripture says about us taking care of ourselves. See, when we become one of God's kids, when we become a part of God's kingdom, when we become one of his children, his hand of covering, his arm of protection comes around us. This is what John is saying right here. You're mine. I've got you. Go, go hang out in John 17 if you've got doubt about this. Look at what Jesus says about his disciples. And then about the rest of the believers. He's got us. So but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Satan has no power over Jesus. Jesus has defeated the enemy. He's defeated death. That's what he did on the cross. And see, that's why we can live in full confidence and assurance right there, right? Because of what Jesus has done. He holds us. He protects us. And guess what? The enemy cannot jerk us out of his hand. There's nothing the enemy can do to take us out of his hand. We're his. If we're his, we're his. That's the deal. Now here's the crazy thing for us. Looking at, looking at verse 18 here. What the enemy can do is, is whisper lies to us, right? He, that, that's, it, that, that's, that's, that's who he is. That's the definition of who he is. He's the great deceiver. And there are a lot of you guys right now that are feeling stuck, feeling helpless, feeling defeated in your sin. When the battle with temptation... Let me just speak to that really quickly. Temptation is not sinning, right? Temptation is there to entice you to sin. So if God is allowing you to be tempted, if you're being tempted, that doesn't mean that you're living in sin. That just means you're being enticed to. The question is, who are you going to run to? But if you've crossed the line of enticement to doing, yeah, you're living in sin. And what the enemy does in the midst of that is he whispers this lie, you're helpless, you're hopeless, you're powerless. So you might as well just stay here because you can't get out. That's what he's doing. He's, he's feeding you that little lie. I grew up on a 40-acre farm, and... Um, one of the things that we were able to do is, um, is we were able to confine large animals with a thin piece of wire that had a small amount of electricity running through it, okay? Um, it's amazing how these animals feared this little bitty piece of wire. I mean, I mean I'm talking a really thin, I mean, you I couldn't even, you couldn't even see it up here. It's, like, it's, it's, about the, it's about the diameter of a coat hanger. Okay? If you undid a coat hanger and you strung it from pole to pole and you ran a little current through it, and when I mean a little current through it, I mean 
we used to, we used to see who can hang on to the wire the longest, okay? All right? So as kids. So, I mean, it's what you do when you live on a 40-acre farm. You ain't got nothing else to do, right? You throw cow manure at each other, and you hang on to electrical wires. And so that's what we, had, that's what we did for a good time on the weekend. Um, but once, a, once, an, once, I mean, a 1,500-pound bull, steer, they'd brush up against that thing, and it, you know, wasn't going to kill them. I mean, we can hang on to it as kids, right? And it wasn't anything to us. Um, but that was just enough to be like, okay, I don't like that, and I'm, I'm not going to go near that again. And you could confine an animal that big with that little bitty piece of wire. Folks, that... That, that, little bitty line, that little bitty piece of electrified wire, that's, that's similar to the enemy's lies in your life. He's got some of us so fooled that we think we're really stuck. And all it is is a thin-veiled a thin lie. Because it's, it's just a lie. So what should our response be to that? Well, Here's what we often say. No, I'm not. I'm not. I can conquer you. I can conquer this. I can do this. I can take you on. I can just run right through that. And that's oftentimes what we're fed in church in very very good ways. Some people will say, ah, you can do it. You can overcome it. But see, here's the reality of, of what Satan is saying to us. That truth in and of ourselves, that that lie that he's trying to say to us in and of ourselves, is actually truth in and of ourselves. We are helpless. We are hopeless. We are powerless to defeat sin in and of ourselves. All it takes is that little, little wire. We're done. That's the reality. That is truth. But in Christ... As his children, resting in his authority, resting in his power, because he paid the price for us on the cross, because he defeated sin and death, because he is living in us, we do have power. We do have victory. So the defense against what the enemy is saying to you about just staying right there, you just say back to the enemy, you know what? You're exactly right. In and of myself, I can't get out of this mess. I'm helpless, hopeless, and powerless in and of myself. But let me introduce you to my dad. Because I'm one of his kids. There is absolutely nothing you can do to me. Do your best. Bring your worst. Not as a proud, arrogant statement but as a self-assured statement, because you know who you are. You know what Jesus has done for you, and you are living fully resting in that, because you recognize, you recognize that he who was born of God protects him, i.e. us, and the evil one doesn't touch him, thereby the evil one can't get to you. So live in that. Rest in that. He goes on. He doesn't leave us there. Keep keep looking at verse 19. It just gets better. 
The second we know thing, he says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It just builds on what I just said. We know exactly who we are. There's a confidence. There is a certainty of the soul. We are comfortable in our own skin as followers of Jesus Christ, as his children. Have you ever been around somebody that they're, they're, just, they're just a joy to be around because they're just comfortable with who they are, warts and all, right? This is who I am, you know? Take me or leave me. I'm, I mean, I'm, when, and, and that, that's not an excuse for um, bad behavior or being a jerk or whatever. They're just, they're, but they're just comfortable with who they are. They're confident in who they are, not in an arrogant way. And, and I'm not talking about extroverted, introverted, or all kinds of different personalities. I'm just, I'm just talking about however they're wired, however God has gifted them, however God is, has uh, made them, they just have this assurance about who they are. There doesn't seem to be these insecurities um, that they're dealing with because there's this confidence, there's this confident assurance that they walk in. It's, it, it's fun to be around those kind of people because they are confident. They are assured. They're not insecure. They're generous. They're not hoarders because they know exactly who they are. And that's what John says to us right there in verse 19. We know that we are from God. How cool is that? How cool is it to be able to walk in that kind of confident way? That no matter what the world brings at you, that no matter what situation God allows you to walk in, because you know you are his kid, because you know you're part of his family, it's going to be okay. It may be hard for a season. Kane and I were talking this past week, I've um, been reading through a book that's got some uh, short um, just highlights of, of guys like Charles Spurgeon's life and um, Mueller's life, and I think the other one was Judson's life. And, and as, we were, as I was reading her some of the things about about Charles Spurgeon's life, he, he battled uh, some pretty horrific um, illnesses. He battled gout um, really, really badly. And for somebody that's got to stand up and pre- preach in front of a bunch of people week in and week out, to have to stand um, when you've got severe gout, it's, it's, it's pretty painful. I, I don't, I, I've never had anything that comes close to that. You know, my lower back tweaks on me every once in a while, but that, that goes away after a week or so. You know, for him, it was just this constant stabbing pain in his, in his leg. And what he would say about that is he would, he would say that God would use those times of suffering to really reveal more of himself to me. And so he said, well, I would, I would never want to, to deal with that. Um, I never would want to wish that on anybody. The, the joy and the, and the preciousness that, come, that came out of that in my walk with Jesus was just something that I, I don't know that I would have experienced otherwise. And so I don't know that I would change anything about, about my relationship with Jesus and, and even the physical pain that, that, that he allowed me to walk through because it deepened my relationship with him. See, Spurgeon understood what it meant to, uh, to know. We know that we're from God. Now here's the scary thing for those that don't know that, that don't have that assurance. Look what the second half of that verse says. It says, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. See, the flip side of that coin is a life that's never satisfied. It's a life that's deceived and caught up in the rat race, right? It's a life that is a life of constant worry, constant fear, 
Have I done enough to make it in? I don't know. I'm on ground that's constantly shifting and, and moving because I'm not for sure where I stand with the creator of the universe. So what some people finally do, they just, they just flip God off and just walk away. They're just like, the heck with that. That would be the Sunday morning word I would use, right? Um, they would say something a lot stronger. They just say, forget you. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm doing my own thing. That's what the prodigal son tried, right? That's what the younger son tried. See, the flip side of that is that the older son tried the same thing. He was, he was trying to save himself through being good enough, being religious enough. But, see, he was trying to put the father in his debt. If I do enough good things, if I'm, if I'm smart enough, if I'm moral enough, if I go to church often enough, if I do all these religious things, then God will owe me because I've got this huge bank account. But, see, both are still running the rat race. Both are still in the world. Both are still under the power of the evil one. Because see, the world always, catch this, the world always overpromises and underdelivers. Right? Even with good stuff. It eventually wears out. It eventually breaks. And that's what advertisers bank on, right? That will buy into the lie of all the things they overpromise and underdeliver. I mean, if you just if you just if you just kind of step back and, and see the way that they're they're coming at us, right? If you use this toothpaste, you're gonna have this great white smile and everybody's gonna love you and you're gonna have this perfect life. And if you're a guy, you're gonna get this perfect girl, and if you're a girl, you're gonna get this perfect guy, and it's all just gonna be a great life because you use Colgate. <laughs> right? I mean, when you hear them unpack it that way, you're like, yeah, man, that's pretty stupid. But yet that's, that's what the world does with everything. It overpromises and underdelivers. Why? Because it's never enough. It never satisfies. But yet we keep chasing after it. And see, if we're not one of his kids, that's the only hope we got. That's the only hope that we have is to try to get as much as we can out of this life because there's nothing, await, there's nothing good that awaits us on the other side. So I'm going to chase after it. This past month, as a, as a part of my normal Bible reading, um, Brett put me on to, I, I use version and um, Brett working up in the, on the computer booth today, um, he put me on to a 30-day devotion. Um, it was kind of focused on athletes and um, so leading up to the Olympics, I thought, that would be kind of cool to just read and watch their stories. And devotion after devotion, I, I see in there um, these athletes that came to know Christ after they had won gold medals, after they'd accomplished all that they thought um, that would bring satisfaction to them. Why? Because once you've won that medal, what next? What now? Did that really satisfy? Did that really bring fulfillment? And to a person, they, they say, no, 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 no. In fact, a lot of them went through deep depression after winning penultimate gold medals. Like, man, is this it? Because see, the world always overpromises and underdelivers. Always. But for us, we know that we're from God. Now, here's the cool thing. John just keeps building on that. Last one, he says this. 
we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. That's the answer. That's the third we know. The third we know is the answer. We know. Why do we know? What's it say? Because He has given us understanding. We know Him and can know Him fully and completely because He has opened our eyes to Him. In the book of Ephesians, it talks about bringing us from death to life. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. It doesn't say we made ourselves alive. It doesn't say we gave ourselves understanding. It said he made us alive in Christ. Just like John is reminding his listeners right here. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. He's the one that has done the work. He's the one that has opened our eyes. He's the one that has helped us see who he is and has drawn us to himself. That's what he's done. It's kind of like hanging around newborn parents, which is kind of a thing at our place, right? They're, 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 we, got, we got two more hanging out at home that we're going to get to see one of these days here at church. And we got more on the way. It's fun to watch those little babies, even from the earliest of days, when there's people around them hovering over them, you can't really see clearly yet, but they can. But when they hear mom and dad's voice, you know, it's just, it's like a laser, right? In fact, when you, when you drop your kids off in the nursery, the nursery folks, the nest folks really want you to drop and run, right? Because if they continue to hear you, they're like, mom and dad's still around. There's still hope that I can be rescued out of this horrible place, right? And that's what's going through their brain, you know? Because they hear your voice. They know. They know that you're their mom. You're their dad. And see, John is saying the same thing right here. We know that, we're, that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Because, see, he's made us his, and we know his voice. We know his voice. And he gives us understanding to know his voice. And we know that he's true because he's given us that understanding. So there's just this confidence and there's this victory that we can walk in and live in. How cool is that? I mean, it puts the confidence and the assurance that the dream team had to shame. Because those guys were basing their confidence and assurance in their own abilities and skills. We're basing our confidence and assurance in what something has done, in, in who someone has done for us. And that they hold us and they've said to us, I will never let you go. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's what we know. So don't settle for anything less. Don't settle for anything less. And because John knows his audience, quite honestly, and he knows us, he gives us one final little reminder about that whole thing right there. What does he say as he closes out the letter? 
He says it in a very tender way, but he still says something very hard for us to hear and be aware of. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Because here's the reality for us. Too often, we settle for lesser things. We do. Calvin talks about uh, the heart is an idol factory. We're constantly looking for ways to replace the Father. I mean, it, it, it sounds ridiculous sitting in this room as, as I'm talking to you and as I'm even thinking about it. Why would we do that? Why are we constantly looking for ways to replace Jesus, to replace the Father, to worship something else? Because He, he should be satisfying. He is satisfying. Let me, let me read this quote to you from um, one of the commentaries that I studied this week. It says this, Idolatry is anything you love, enjoy, pursue more than God, more than Christ. Who is the true God in eternal life? Idols say we are true when God says only Christ is true. Idols say they will give life when God says only Christ provides life eternal life. Idols promise but never deliver, whereas God says Christ both provides and delivers. He's the one that satisfies. Flip over with me. I'm, I want to take you to a couple verses as we finish up today. Um, go with me to John chapter 4. Same, same guy um, wrote the gospel of John, and he says this. Um, it's, it's the story where he's met the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Um, the disciples have traveled on into town to get um, food, and he's hanging out at this well midday, and uh, this woman comes to the well midday, which is not the normal time to come, but she's got a pretty promiscuous past. She's been with five or six guys, and they get into this conversation about spiritual things, and, and Jesus, in the midst of this conversation, says this to her in verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Guys, Jesus is the only one that brings full satisfaction. So in, the, in your daily walk, be on guard, constantly be aware of the ways that you are creating idols for yourself to replace what only can Jesus do. And the, and the further you walk with him, the longer you walk with him, the more mature you get, doesn't make you exempt from those things. You know? I can't wait to get in heaven because that means I won't have to weed my stinking garden anymore. Right? I love planting the garden. Who doesn't? Right? Till the ground, you get the soil, it's good. Drop the seeds in. Throw a little water, throw a little fertilizer on it. And then, like, you know, in 90 days, I just want, I want, there, to, I want there to be fruit, right? I want fruit to just come up. But it doesn't work that way. Because for whatever reason, no matter how pure that dirt is, somehow grass and maple leaves and whatever else gets in there, and before you know it, there's, there's these weeds are just growing up. It's like, and you weed that one spot, and it, next week... 
there's another weed coming right back on that same spot. I'm like, I just, I just worked this. I just did this. Why don't I do this again? But see, that's, that's, that's a great illustration of, of how idols. There's, just, there's this constant. So that's why confession and repentance is the process of, of laying those idols at the foot of the cross and the Father just ripping them out of our lives, taking them out of our lives, pruning them off so that we bear a lot of fruit. But we have to be active in that with him. So that's why John finished the, the story, the letter to his people, little children, stay away from them. Tear them down. Get rid of them. So what are the implications for us? Well, first off, for those of you that are believers in this room, as I said earlier, the dream team has nothing on you. Right? So live with boldness. Your side is one. You're on the winning team. There is no doubt. You don't have to wait for instant replay. Right? You don't have to wait for further review. There is no doubt. It's clear victory. It's concise. It's decisive. So live that way. Now, hear me when I say that. I'm not saying become some alter ego and and live like somebody that you're not wired to be, okay? God has wired you and gifted you and given you the personality he's given and is fleshing that personality with you, making you into look more and more like him so that he can use you where he's got you to reconcile the world to himself. Your world is different than my world. But be who God has called you to be in full assurance, with confidence and boldness. I don't care whether you're an extrovert, an introvert, a high I, a low I, a high D, whatever your personality is. I don't care what those things are. That's not the point. Your personality is not the point. It is who God is working through you and what that looks like. Because it will still be confidence, assurance, living boldly for Him. Because He's given you Here's the second thing I want you to remember. He's given you weapons. He's given you, this is my phone, so, but my Bible's on it. He's given you the word of truth, right? He's given you his word. He's made it very plain. It's like, well, I don't know what to do. Start reading the Bible. Well, I'm not for sure how to make a decision. Start reading the Bible. Get in the word of God. He has given you that word of truth. He's also given you the Holy Spirit who will give you what you need if you ask. Ask. I need wisdom. Got it for you. John said it last week. Can't emphasize it enough. Make yourself known to other believers. If you're trying to do this thing in isolation, man, the enemy's got you where he wants you. Be known. Make yourself known to your other brothers and sisters in Christ. It's good for you to be here on Sundays to hear teaching but that's just the starting point. Like, none of you guys are making yourself known right now, right? You're passively, actively listening to me. Um, but the reality is you need to be in community with other people who are believers. If you're members of this church, we, we would say with other members of this church, you're doing life together. See, that's a weapon. That's a weapon you have against the enemy. 
Because Scripture talks about in Hebrews that we use things like encouragement with each other to not allow our, heart, our, our hearts to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's why it's so important to be around other believers, because they can be an encouragement to you. That's why I love hanging out with the elders. They are an encouragement to me. We've, we've, got, a, we've got a text string that's 40 pages long. I mean, we're just, there's, there's constant conversation. Sometimes it's in jest, right, Brian? <laughs> like this week. So um, other times it's just, man, pray for me. This is getting ready to happen. Other times it's, guys, this is, this is going on in my life. Sometimes it's a phone call. Sometimes it's a get-together. Um, sometimes it's with our wives. We're hanging out together. But, that, but that's important to be known, to make yourself known, because that's a weapon that God has given you to combat the lies of the enemy. Last couple of things. If you're a believer, don't settle. Don't settle for less. A lot of you guys have bailed out too quickly when the weight that God has put on you. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to resolve it on your own. You're trying to lift that load on your own. And see, the reason, God is, the, the reason God is pressing down on you and weighing in on you is that he's trying to give you more than you can handle so that you will learn to trust and rest in him. Some of you guys are so independent. And, and I get it. I mean, some of you, you've been raised in homes that if you weren't independent, you wouldn't have survived to this point. You had parents who... Um, were really hard, or you had situations in life that happened to you that were awful things, and so you went into self-protection mode. But the reality of it is, is that the best protection is to lay and rest underneath God's hand. His covering for you is sufficient, but will you stay under and rest in Him? Because you're going to get stuff that's way too much for you to handle. And it's just going to crush you. But if you're one of his kids, God's just like, man, just turn to me. Rest in me. I will carry this for you. I've put people around you who will walk with you, who will bear this with you. Because they're walking with me, and we're in this together. So don't settle. Don't, don't, don't just go, well, this is the lot I have. And so I, I love the C.S. Lewis, Lewis quote. I butcher it, but it's basically this. Too often, we're sitting with our backs to this beautiful ocean vacation that we could have, making mud pies, going, man, that's the best I got. That's the best I'm going to get. So I'm just going to settle. I'm going to settle for making these mud pies. That's all I got. When God is saying to us, put the stinking mud pies down, turn around. <laughs> there's, this, there's this beautiful vista there's this beautiful oceanfront property that you get to come and enjoy with me. That's what you get. Quit settling for mud pies. Now, I've spent my morning speaking to, to believers, really. If, if you're in this room and you're seeking, God hasn't changed your heart. It's like, well, man, what's the implications for me? Let me give you this and we're done. The implications for you are this. God's king. You've rejected his rule in your life. You've rejected his reign in your life. 
As a result, you deserve death. We all deserve death when we rejected God's reign in our lives. You can't be good enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't be religious enough. All those bridges, all those things are going to fail. They're not going to get all the way to the Father. Only Jesus is enough. That's why the Father, in His grace and mercy, sent His Son to die for you on the cross. And through the cross, God was satisfied. Jesus is enough. Jesus is the only thing that's enough. God's extended His grace to you through Jesus. And so, here's what God calls you to do. Everybody go with me to Romans chapter 9. Or Romans chapter 10, excuse me. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If God has opened your eyes, if God has brought you from death to life, if God in His mercy is opening your heart to Him today, that's what God is calling you to do. Say yes to Him. In faith, say yes to Him. Say yes to His rule and reign in your life. And you move from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of light. And then you can, like the rest of us, stand fully assured in these verses that I've talked to you about today. You can know that you're His. You can know that He's given you understanding because that's what He just did. So let me pray for us. Brian's going to come up and walk us through what our response time should look like. But let me just say this. If God has opened up your eyes today, if you've, been, if you've been coming and hanging out with us and if you're seeking Him, but you've never said yes to Him and you're saying yes to Him today, man, share that with Brian. Share that with somebody that you know that, that's here at our church. For the rest of us, if you've been wallowing in your sin, if you've been wrestling with your sin, if you've been living with doubt, man, lay that at the foot of the cross. Before you come to the table, lay that at the foot of the cross. And rest in full assurance, live in a way that people can see that you are fully confident, not in yourself, but in who Jesus is and what he's done in your life and that you're one of his kids. That's the deal. Let's pray.